On this episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast, we explore the lyrics to the title track of Prince's second film, Under the Cherry Moon, which is also the fourth track on the Parade album. And joining me to talk about this song is Todd Sanzone. Hi, Todd. Good morning. How are you, sir? I am great. I'm great. Thank you. Uh, how Thank about yourself? You. Yeah, I'm, I'm also wonderful. Thank you. Happy holidays to, to you and everyone listening. Um, happy to be invited back again. This is my third go round, and I want to just say thanks for having me for an album track this time. Yeah, right. You're doing <laughs> the, feel... all the B sides with me. Yeah. <laughs> so but not only is, is it an album track, it's like, you know, the, so it's not technically the title track because the title of the album is Parade. Right. But it's it kind of serves in some ways along with Christopher Tracy's Parade as kind of like the title track because it. It's the song title of the movie that is most associated with this album, Under the Cherry Moon. Indeed. Yeah, so it's kind of like an album track, or it's kind of like a title track in that regard, yeah. uh, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> so Under the Cherry Moon, um, it's a ballad. I mean, it's very clearly a ballad, I think. It's it's a slow, slower song designed to kind of evoke a classical, maybe early, early 20th century feeling. Uh, which, you know, kind of what the film's aesthetic does as well, with it being a black and white film, a lot of, um, you know, mid-century uh, architecture, mid-century um, cars and, and, and looks. Maybe not so much the fashion, at least not Prince's fashion in the film. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would be considered mid-20th century. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of the aesthetic of Under the Cherry Moon that, that fits that uh, mid-century vibe and uh this song kind of does the same thing for me at least i don't know yeah. how you think about it i feel exactly the same for me this song above all the others on the album um kind of encaps encapsulates the feel of the film the whole vibe of this era this you know the black and white the retro feel the the classical nature in, in the film sense i think the say what you well about the film but for me it's always been sort of a classic at least an attempt at a classic um buddy screwball comedy uh with yeah. you know with a with a romantic um um storyline built in as well so uh and this song is so classical in its sound and um it just draws out those images in the music i think it does it the, the song itself under the Cherry Moon kind of feels very theatrical to me. Mm -hmm. The song is featured in the film as well. It has sure. a moment in the in the movie, just like just about every song on the album. And it has a lot of um, elegance to it. The, the song itself has a lot of elegance to it. It also intends to, seems to intend to um, offer a level of sophistication that, you know, Prince's music maybe wasn't thought of as containing before this uh -huh. uh, with i mean under, around the world in a day had some moments but you know it was pop music for the most part pop and funk and r&b music and with you know with certain albums had a lot of rock elements as well and then to throw a song or this whole album really with the adding some orchestration to it and that just kind of up that sophistication meter a bit you know on on some of these songs this one is a very clear example there's other ones like venus de milo and do you lie which kind of 
go back and of course uh, sometimes it snows in april and mostly they're slower songs so it's like the slower songs are a bit more um matching the feel of the film than maybe some of the more upbeat songs that are that uh that don't really quite uh, have the same tone as the movie but they still fit in the film because of the characters and because of prince's character as christopher tracy and then tricky they have a very um you know playful relationship with themselves and of course with the audience so the you know the, the more upbeat songs seem to fit their characters more while the more the slower songs are more along the lines of the christopher and mary type um narrative of the plot mm-hmm. all right so with the cherry moon being the fourth song it's the, the last of that four track kind of suite that starts off the album yes and the the drum the drums used in this that were all kind of the the tying thread between the four tracks it's not as noticeable in the song because it's so slowed down because they had to slow the drum track down significantly to match you know the the song's um structure and how it's designed as a ballad and written as a ballad so it's not as easily noticeable but it's there if you're really paying attention i don't know if oh yeah with this being part of that four song suite it's it's like the you know the the closure the the last piece the um and i i like it for that i like how it ends with this very slow kind of melodic ballad with a lot of uh, theatrics in it in, in terms of the lyrics which we'll be going through very soon and uh, as far as this song todd you chose this song for yourself to to participate on this podcast yep. do you i mean what what was what's your thought about the song overall in general so first i'll touch on you know and what you just said and carry that forward when i was let's see how old was i when this album came out i was 14 years old and as a 14 year old um it didn't even i had no knowledge of or i was never privy to the recording process for this album right so it never occurred to me um that you know prince played the drums for these first four tracks straight through whether they were live drums or or a machine or a combination of both but the the story that i've heard is that he laid down the drum tracking for this song along with the previous three in sequence without stopping mm-hmm. and then he then he laid on the other instruments likewise so anyway I, I wasn't privy to that and yet my ear told me that this was the the completion of a suite of songs like i always considered the first four songs on this album to be kind of um, one long song almost. So um, in that sense, it's always been sort of interesting to me. Um, now, when you get to the song itself, um, yeah, I've always loved this song. And just as a, an album as a whole, even more so for me than Around the World in a Day, this is a quirky little bit of music, this whole album. It's just a quirky you know, mixture of sounds, but it works and it works so well. And I loved it from the get go. And this song in particular, as I said earlier, it just sort of brings out the whole flavor of the period uh, for me. And so, you know, in that way, it was always special to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would sit down and say, okay, this is in my top 10 Prince songs or anything like that. I, I, I rarely do that anyway, but uh, I, I don't think it would be there. And yet, I love it. I love it. I love it. And then um, 
you know, fast forward many, many years after that, um, for whatever reason, this is one song that always just stuck in my head to a degree that I was able to, without looking at the lyric sheet, I could sing it or, you know, go over it in my head. And it became one of a short list of songs that when my daughter was born, I would sing to her um, when she was an infant in order to calm her as well as keep myself awake at three in the morning while I was feeding her. And then when she got up to be a little bit older, it just became one of those songs that I would continue to sing to her just as because she, she liked to either read or, or sing to calm her down before she went to sleep as a, as a toddler. Um, so anyway, it's a special song to me in that respect too. I think of the song. I also think of my daughter now. So there's that. Well, yeah, that's a really kind of cool, um, relatable story for anybody who's a parent, you know, and I, I think a lot of us either have had songs that we recall our parents singing to us, or if we didn't, and we're parents ourselves, we have um, been able to do something similar for our kids, finding a song or two that for whatever reason we just like singing, they like hearing, and it's um, the song has kind of almost like a lullaby feel to it. So that is mm. that is really kind of a cool um, way to connect this song, which you know is a movie song that has very um, fantastical and theatrical lyrics to it, but then also bring it down to our level, you know, as <laughs> as just you know regular regular guys, uh, uh-huh. parents, family members, um, loved ones, and be able to sing this song and treat it kind of like like a lullaby in that respect so yeah uh, yeah that's a really really relatable story todd thanks for sharing that sure yeah and, and me personally under the cherry moon uh is because i was never much into ballads or slow songs when i was younger so it was a song that had to grow on me like i was just you know so amped up over the first two songs christopher tracy's parade and in, in new position and then i wonder you came in and even though it was, it brought it brought the um, the music down a bit from a uh, from a danceable standpoint, from an energy standpoint, but it, it sounded cool, and I really liked how it was like uh, like a segue into the suite, and then under the cherry moon, and it did feel kind of like a lullaby to me as well back then, but that wasn't really what I was looking for in a Prince song back mm. in the mid '80s, so right. I kind of dismissed it, you know, and then the the energy came back up with girls and boys right after and life can be so nice. And so I was, this was kind of like a forgotten song for me for, for many reasons and for many years until I became older. And then I learned to really uh, appreciate its position in the album, its position on side one of the album and also its position in this four song suite as it's like the exclamation point. Um, but having it be really kind of sweet and soft and it, the lyrics, which we're going to get to now, I think will kind of be interesting in a way because they, the way that Prince writes the song, it's meant to really just kind of evoke a lot of imagery and there's a lot of really kind of interesting, um, interesting phrases here and interesting ways to interpret these phrases. So if you're ready, let's get into it. How can I stay? Why can't I fly away 
All right, so this is a fairly short song, just like many of the, the songs in the four-song suite that starts the album. It's just under three minutes, not as short as I Wonder You, but, um, you know, it's it's shorter than a lot of, you know, songs like Girls and Boys and, and Mountains and some of the songs that come later in the album. But the first verse of, a, of the song is, How can I stand to stay where I am? Poor butterfly who don't understand. Why can't I fly away? in a special sky. If I don't find my destiny soon, I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. So that's the first verse. And what I like about this first verse is uh, Prince likens himself to a butterfly. You know, he's kind of painting himself as the butterfly. A lot of times butterfly is used to in songs sung by men to kind of describe their lover or, you know, the, a woman. Um, being you know gentle as a butterfly or pretty as a butterfly uh, something that is hard to capture so i like the fact that he's kind of turning that term turning that metaphor of a butterfly a little bit in calling himself that uh, which you know is is an interesting aspect of this first verse for me what are, what are some of the things that sh- that kind of jump out to you todd yeah, so the first thing that jumps out to me, and this is going to go throughout the whole song, is that this is a uh, romantic. There are romantic themes in the song. When I say romantic, I'm not talking about uh, love um, or you know some kind of um, relationship romance. I'm talking about just a romantic feeling that um, is more about a uh, a certain view on life. And so here, you know, it, it comes out with lyrics that uh, about he's questioning life and why can't I do this? And he's using very romantic language to do that, comparing himself to a butterfly um, and then ending with if I don't find my destiny soon. And then the only thing that we get as a refrain, the repeat of the line, I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. So it's very um, theatrical. It's very mm-hmm. dramatic, and it's very romantic to me, and that continues throughout the the other verses as well. So, um, so yeah, that's it. Yeah, I th- I think with this first verse kind of setting up the the kind of the structure of the the lyrics, mm-hmm. he's asking questions here in this first verse, and it's like they're rhetorical questions. He's like almost like asking himself. How can I stand to stay where I am? Why can't I fly away in a special sky? It It's like he feels stuck, I guess. Uh-huh. That's kind of what I'm getting out of this. Like he feels stuck. And in what way? I, I, I can't be 100% certain because one could interpret it like, oh, well, you know, it's talking about his, his muse, which music is, you know, often well music is his destiny where it says if i don't find my destiny soon as prince as the musician music has always kind of been like his destiny or at least that's how i look at it but you know des- your destiny can be a lot of things it can be you can look at it from a romantic love standpoint if you're thinking of this in terms of like christopher tracy and mary's relationship in the film you can you can insert that narrative of that film and the plot of the film into these lyrics and apply it there. But I also like looking at this a little different way, just thinking of it as um, more of a, just a, a conversation or a statement about his own 
his own creativity and his own life. Uh, more like autobiographical in a way, I guess, to say like, I'm, I'm this butterfly and I'm feeling a little stuck, maybe stuck, stuck creatively. And if I don't find my destiny soon, I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. And I, I do want to touch on that line, I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon a little bit later. I don't mm-hmm. want to do it right now because, well, the one thing I will bring up now is cherry moon, the term cherry moon, just to make sure everybody is kind of familiar with what that what that means. It sounds just kind of like, oh, raspberry beret or purple rain. It's just like a color, uh-huh. you know, or a shade added to some some, you know, proper noun or regular noun. And that's what Prince did. But it also, you know, it's a real thing too. It's it just for awareness sake, the cherry moon. And it's not something that it's not a term that I've ever used personally or heard a lot of, but cherry moon in in essence is that first full moon in April that kind of signifies the beginning of spring and I guess it's called cherry. I mean, yeah, sure, there are times where the sky will have kind of like a, a purplish or pinkish hue to it, and the moon appears to look pink or purple, cherry-colored, for that matter. But I think it also was called the cherry moon just because of the significance of the flowers blossoming and, you know, color coming back to to our Earth, you know, any anywhere in the parts of the world where we have four seasons you know and you have you know a clear winter and spring and moving into spring and how you know the plants start to blossom bloom again and and cherry was often used to kind of represent that that spring that springtime the beginning of spring and uh so that that's really where cherry moon i believe originated from and so for prince to use that and kind of apply it to this song, the movie, and then tie it back with sometimes it snows in April. Like this whole thing just screams spring, you know. Yep. The whole album screams spring, even though it took place in France. The movie took place in France. And I've never been to France, so I don't really know. And I'll have to lean on some of my, my French listeners. Uh, what's what's <laughs> spring like in France? Does it depend on what part of France like it does in America? Mm-hmm. Um, you know have to give me a little bit of a more context behind spring in france or if that was just kind of a well i want this movie to take place in france but even though i'm, I'm writing it and singing about you know uh, a northern midwest um season <laughs> experience so right yeah so uh i will say that i had that thought about cherry moon in my notes as well so there you go mm-hmm. we're on the same page um, I will also say, bringing it home again and making it a little bit more personal, again, as a 14-year-old, I really didn't give it a whole lot of thought. I just loved this, the album and the song, right? So, um, But I will say, as time went on, this is one of my favorite albums to listen to in the car when the weather starts to get warm and I'm able to roll the windows down and turn it all the way up. Like this is a springtime and early summer album for me. It just always has been. And maybe it's due in part because it was released in the spring and I listened to it a lot in the spring of 1986. I don't know. But even today, I love throwing this album on in the car, rolling the windows down and letting it blast. So it has yeah. that springtime tie-in for me as well. Yep, absolutely. And I'm I'm the same. I'm the same 
with that whole springtime feeling. I remember Kiss being on the radio mm-hmm. in the spring because I, I don't know if it was Easter or what, but I remember coming back from church service with my parents and we were listening to the radio on the way home and it was the top 40 countdown, Casey Kasem. And mm-hmm. I think Kiss had just hit number one. Um, but I remember it being spring because he was either right after Easter or right around Easter time. I don't exactly remember. Yeah, no, I think and I would right. have to go back to the spring of 1986 to find out when when Easter was that year and et cetera, et cetera, right. to really get down to that. But yeah, no, I this is a spring album for me as well, for sure. Nice, always will be, always always has, and always will be. And I, also, I don't think that you have to know <laughs> what a cherry moon is in order to really enjoy this song because it really doesn't doesn't matter right? right so when you're when you hear the line i'll die in your arms under the cherry moon you just get like a this vision of of two people under under the moonlight and you you imagine that the person saying it's a cherry moon just because of you know it's big and bright but that's that's not really what it's you know that's not important that's that's not information that you have to have uh, at your disposal in order to appreciate the line and to appreciate its poetry, I guess, is what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. I want to live life to the ultimate high Maybe I'll die young like heroes die Maybe I'll kiss you some wild special way All right, so then the second verse goes, I want to live life to the ultimate high. Maybe I'll die young like heroes die. Maybe I'll kiss you some wild special way. If nobody kills me or thrills me soon, I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. And then after that, there's some, goes into like a musical break, a short musical break, and then you kind of hear Prince saying, and that's all right. That's all right. under that musical break, which I never really tied together with the lines before, but when I'm reading them, it has, and that's all right, right after I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. But in the song, there's a fairly significant pause with just music before he says, and that's all right. So with the second verse, it kind of follows the same structure. And it's, he's really, you know, once again, singing the song from a first-person perspective. I want to live life to the ultimate high. Maybe I'll die young like heroes die. Maybe I'll kiss you some wild special way. A lot of I and me here, uh-huh. you know. It's it's really singing it about himself and about his feelings, you know, the, the narrator's feelings. Um, and for me, it, this, the second verse even amps up the the drama, you know, even more so than it sure. did in the yep. first a lot more drama here talking about kill me and thrill me and kiss me or kiss you, I guess. So what about the second verse do you like, Todd? Yeah, you're exactly right. It just builds on the um, on the dr- drama. And this verse may be more than the others. Um, I, I kind of get the, the image of Prince not necessarily talking directly to uh, you know his lover, but 
rather just sort of thinking aloud in her direction. Um, and I get the picture of him just like laying in a field, looking up at the clouds, meander through this blue sky and just thinking and envisioning things, uh, you know, uh, in, in his uber romantic kind of way. Um, yeah, you know, I'll die young like heroes die. And that's a sad line when you think about it. But, um, you know, of course, then it was just uh, him being dramatic. I'll kiss you in some wild special way that almost evokes lyrics from when doves cry for me, kills me or thrills me soon. I don't know. It's, it, you know, again, I love it. It just carries forth that whole dramatic and romantic theme for me. Um, but again, I feel like I feel like he's just thinking aloud, not necessarily talking to his his woman. Yeah, me too. Me too. I don't. I, while this song is meant to, and like you already mentioned, be romantic, but it's not the same kind of romantic that a lot of people think of when they think of a romantic song. Right. It almost feels like he's like this. Uh, I, I think of young and restless. Like he's young and restless singing the song. It's like somebody, <laughs> somebody who is young and restless singing the yeah. song, who just feels like they have a lot to offer, or at least they. They want to live life to the. I mean, he says, "I want to live life to the ultimate high," which is basically another way of saying I want to live life to the fullest. Right. Um, I want to participate in everything that life has to offer me, and and whether that means that you know, if by doing this, by chasing these dreams, chasing these muses, chasing these goals, it might kill me. You know, because, you know, I'm young and I'm, although I am, I feel indestructible as a young person at times, there's also a thought he's exhibiting and expressing the understanding that some of the things that he could get into could kill him. Maybe I'll die like young heroes die. I mean, he calls himself a hero, (laughs) which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he definitely sees himself as a, you know hero i mean aren't we all the heroes of our own story i guess right right i mean our own life story we're we're the main characters we're the heroes of our own life story so it it's not unusual for him to or it's not you know if you think of it that way it wouldn't be unusual for him to call himself the hero of the song or the story and so he wants to you know have a a love that is that will be as thrilling as those that he probably has seen in films. Maybe I'll uh-huh. kiss you in some wild, special way. Uh-huh. And, you know, not just a normal kiss, not just a regular kiss that 99% of us <laughs> participate in. No, it has to be some wild, special kiss because he wants to live life to the ultimate high. And so this, for him, this is what all of that means. Right. It means doing all these things, getting into trouble potentially and potentially dying even, but also you know, engaging in a, a, a wild and crazy um, romantic relationship. And if nobody kills me or thrills me soon, uh, you know, that just kind of exactly summarizes those two thoughts about if nobody kills me because I'm doing something that is so crazy and out there that it could potentially kill me, which, you know, anybody who's seen the movie knows that's what ultimately happens to Christopher uh-huh. Tracy. Uh, no spoilers here. Come on, guys. It's a 30, <laughs> 34 year old movie. You guys right. should have seen it by now. And uh, thrills me soon. So that, once again, the whole concept of of love that's thrilling and and unique and interesting and something special, I guess. 
and I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. And then throwing in the that's all right kind of seems like he's accepted, almost accepted his tragic fate. Um, if we're thinking of dying in your arms being literal dying, which I have a thought on that later as well uh-huh. when we get to the third verse. But yeah, that's kind of like, to your point, what I've taken away from this as well, the, the dramatic aspects of it and the really the real kind of poetry behind some of these lines and balancing the the death with the um, with the romantic thrills and uh, you know love love and death and life and death really kind of mm-hmm. aspects that are expressed here in the second verse. So you just brought to mind a thought that I really hadn't had before, or at least not in this way. Um, stepping away from Prince as the artist singing the song and placing it into the world of the movie and the character of Christopher Tracy as it's written and portrayed. Christopher Tracy was, um, he was a gigolo. He was a a little bit of a scoundrel, a little bit of a, a a bad guy. And just, um, but, but he was also a wooer of women and a haver of fun and a, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and a, you you know, a party goer and all these things too. So, Christopher Tracy wanted to live life to the ultimate high. He, he was, um, and he he was sort of stuck in a world of that um, gigolo lifestyle. But he also had you know higher dreams for himself, as evidenced by you know not only his actions but just his sort of his uh, his personality and little things he did when he was away from uh, the party scene or whatever. You know his his little grotto where he wrote poetry. And his way of wooing uh, Mrs. Wellington over the phone with poetry and um, and things like that. So he had Christopher Tracy, that is, had a mm-hmm. uh, a poetic and romantic mindset uh, while he was also living it up. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He he definitely his character in that movie really balanced that those two sides of a scoundrel. And a scamp with a poet, a poet and a lover, mm-hmm. and um, and not just you know the superficial love, but he had the, obviously the capability of a much deeper love. He was using the superficial love to you know to maintain the lifestyle that he wanted to live and to have fun because it's all fun and games until you meet somebody who <laughs> who changes that perspective for him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that balance. And his inability to maintain that balance is what ultimately did him in in the film. Um, But, yeah, that's why the second verse almost, the most, for me, most feels like fitting of the the plot of the film, if you think of it that way, or choose to think of it that way. All right, so then after the short musical break, we get the final final verse of the song. And it goes, Lovers like us, dear, are born to die. If they don't find us, what will we do? I guess we'll make love under the cherry moon. I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. Okay, so the third verse 
is shorter than the other ones. It's just uh-huh. kind of like the outro verse or the you know the punctuation at the end of the song repeats you know the whole tragedy part of dying lovers like us dear are born to die and he mentions death again as he did in the second verse if they don't find us what will we do uh so with that line if they don't find us i'm not sure who he's referring to though with if they don't find us unless i'm just thinking of it as the movie again and they meaning like if if christopher and mary are running away from her family Uh uh-huh so you can think of it that way they're running away to be together so that they could be just those his, you know mary's family if we're thinking of it from the plot standpoint or just anybody who is trying to get in the way of love get in the way of of this uh romantic situation that he finds himself in because here he's he's not just talking about he does say i a couple times but he mentions somebody else um you know again here like he did with maybe i'll kiss you in some wild special way but you know the you could be anybody i'll die in your arms once again could be anybody and so we have to just kind of assume that he's speaking about the same person if we're talking about the song structure from verse to verse to verse lovers like us dear are born to die and then finally the uh, i guess we'll make I guess we'll make love under the cherry moon and I'll die in your arms under the cherry moon. So this reading these lyrics, I finally thought had a different thought about what dying in your arms under the cherry moon can mean. Uh So, um, and I'll have to ask you if you ever thought of this as well, but so death has the literal meaning of ending of life. And, but then it also has, uh, an alternate meaning more of like a, an expression little death or la petite mort in french to to you know kind of be that experience that one feels post-orgasm like the whole weakening of consciousness and so then i started to think if he means i'll die in your arms under the cherry moon is he really just talking about orgasms like you know having sex outside under the cherry moon if we're thinking of it literally and i'll die in your arms is just a really kind of expressive poetic way of saying you know, we're going to make love. We're going to have sex under the cherry moon. And I'm going to die in your arms. Just the thought I had there after reading Look this, at you. this verse, finally. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. I don't know. Um, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I like it. Um, now, I had a different thought as you were reading the lyrics a minute ago. And that well, is just ears. sort of... Yeah, <laughs> not not quite so uh, metaphorical in that sense, um, but uh, just you know to be romantic. And now I'm spinning it the other way. Now I said romantic sure. earlier, not in a love way, but let's talk about romanticism now in a in a relationship. Um, and to be in love, it has been said, um, is like flirting with heartbreak. Um, because if you're really in love somebody uh, and it goes sideways, it could really hurt. Um, and so I get from the from the lyrics, I'll die in your arms, uh, that, you know, I, I want to be with you even if it kills me. Um, even if ultimately it doesn't go the way I want, uh, I'm willing to risk it. I don't know. That's, that's one of my, my take on it. Um, mm-hmm. 
uh, interesting too, again, just getting back to dissect, dissecting the verse, you know, in previous verses, it was I and you here, he uses us uh, and we. So he's definitely pairing up with his lover in this sense and placing his lover by his side in the circumstances that he's painting with these um, poetic, with his poetic language. So he's not the only one that could potentially suffer. Now it's we are born to die. And what will we do? So um, I, I think he's kind of uh, trusting that she's taking the same chance that he is. Yeah. And that's a good point because it, it is, he does change the pronouns a bit here in this last verse to use those terms that are more uh, kind of inclusive of a group, you know, a small group as opposed to just being you and me. It's us and we, as you mentioned, and that, that is, I think that does have significance in how you're intending to take this final verse and think of it as more of a, a statement on, on a relationship, a relationship maybe that is not meant to be or is difficult for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, this song, you, you just can't, you just can't avoid the connections to the movie. However, of course, when I first, well, not necessarily of course, but however, when I first heard this song, I didn't see the movie because, you know, a lot, a lot of people did in theaters in 1986. Mm. I'll just be blunt. It wasn't a big hit. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people didn't see the movie. I think more people probably heard this song than saw the movie. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have those connections to the film. They didn't have a connection to Christopher Tracy. They didn't know that he died. You know, and, you know, dying in your arms under the cherry moon. Uh, you know, it just gives you the imagery of of after Christopher's shot and then Mary's holding him. And so it's there's that immediate and very clear connection to the film. But without the film to give you that information, that context, one can take these lyrics however they want. And that's what's great about it. And that's kind of where I was where I went with the whole um, orgasm thought about dying in your arms under the cherry moon. Because, I don't know, I guess without the movie to tell you that his character dies, you, how how would he die? I mean, he mentions, yeah, maybe I'll die like young heroes died. So you you can imagine any kind of scenario like he's, you know, he's a, a bank robber or, you know, or he gets into, you know, uh, some money making scheme that ends up going wrong or. You know, he gets into a lover's quarrel and or, you know, there's some sort of jealousy situation going on with his girl's ex or who knows, you know, you can your your brain can make up any number of of scenarios that would end with this character dying in somebody's mm-hmm. arms. Uh, it could be anything. But but that's why I also like the alternate meaning about it, not really literally being death, but just more of a statement of how each verse is going to end with us making love under the cherry moon and, and what, you know, that results in, uh, in, in spite of all of the different um, directions that he seems to go in the verses, it's all ultimately going to end this way. And we're, we're going to, you know, make love under the cherry moon. And it's a great kind of interesting poetic and uh, theatrical way of expressing uh, a simple act of lovemaking. Um, yes. I wanted to ask you one thing, Todd, about the song sure. as well, from a musical standpoint, because uh-huh. it was very 
it, it wasn't immediately clear to me, but after a little more careful thought and listening to these two songs side by side, uh-huh. I heard connections between the song and the question of you in terms yes. of how music goes. I assume you had as well. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and so the, and this is where I was going to spin it forward into a discussion about music as well, even though I know you do a lyrics podcast and the lyrics are going to be front and center. Uh, it's a relatively short song. So I thought maybe we could, um, prop it up a little bit with some talk about the music. Um, yeah. so yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Jump yes, right that, that was, that was in my notes as well. And I think if I read correctly, question of you was actually written, uh, just a few weeks or something after cherry moon. So I guess he had some of that, um, that mute, there's musical DNA, uh, still in his brain and he spun it into a new song and, uh, and yeah, I definitely hear the, the similarities. So what is the answer to the question of you? What do I look for? In the melody, for sure. Um, and so they sounded too much alike, maybe. And so he just sat on question of you, or maybe it just didn't fit the theme of what you know he was putting together for the for the movie. So for whatever reason, it didn't come out until years later. But um, but yeah, there's definitely some some similar DNA there. Yeah. Not only came out years later, but came out on his next, next movie. movie that, uh-huh. you know, his next, his next, um, fictional movie, uh-huh. that concert movie. So yeah, it's just interesting. Like, because once again, the music is so, I don't know, it just has like that old timey theatrical and, and film score feel to it that just kind of like, okay, well this worked for under the cherry moon, but I have this other song that would totally fit for another soundtrack. Let me put that aside until I get around to that again. And oh. then question of you came out on graffiti bridge in 1990. So there you go. Another, yeah. another soundtrack, same kind of vibe, but the two songs, even though they have that similar musical DNA, as you mentioned, they, they have a lot of similarities that way, but they're also two very distinct songs in their own way, which is great because otherwise it would be just like under the cherry moon part two or just right. a retread and people wouldn't necessarily think of as highly of question of you. I don't think if they felt like it was just a, uh, a redundant, um, under the cherry moon sequel. It'd be this interesting to see if they ever get around to a graffiti bridge, um, super deluxe, if that original recording of question of you, shows up on there and and how similar it is to under the cherry moon because he most likely re-recorded it in you know 89 or 90 um to fit the uh, that album so it's it could be quite different even though you can still hear the melody in it Um, so anyway yeah that'll be neat to hear if if it ever shows up yeah it certainly would and we can just hope for that someday i'm still looking forward to a potential parade deluxe because i'd like to hear Yes. All of the, the songs from this album that had the original, well, I mean, you've got the original versions that were very stripped down. Then you had the, the versions that had all of the Claire Fisher orchestration and the embellishments mm-hmm. there. But then were many of them were also stripped down from that as well. And, and there is a version of this song that does have more orchestral swells in the beginning and during certain portions of the song.
I, I actually like that version pretty good. Uh, I think it's it mixes and sounds well, I, or sounds good. I think Prince did a good job of editing, I think, for a lot of these songs, because especially with New Position, that was one that had the orchestration that just did, for me, didn't didn't work. Uh, it worked. I felt like it worked better for Under the Cherry Moon, but I don't, I don't hate the fact that he removed a lot of it because it can get a bit busy. And I don't know, but the whole th- thing that appeals to me about these four songs that start off the album is a bit of its, uh, I guess, its simplicity. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, I mean, there's plenty of going on in Christopher Tracy's Parade. That one's kind of a busy song, but. And there's there's plenty of musical embellishments in Under the Cherry Moon too, but it's also still very simple. The melody is simple. It's just you've got different instruments that come in now and then to add something to it, but it's really just a kind of a piano song in its essence. It can be easily. Let me ask you this if I piano. can, because I've been sure. curious and I don't have an answer. Maybe you do, or somebody else out there does. What is the instrument that's playing constantly throughout the song? Is it a mandolin? Or, or some other stringed instrument that gives it that real European sound? I think I know what you're talking about. Um, I don't know what that instrument is. Uh, there will have to be some smarter and more accomplished musicians out there that <laughs> have to answer that question. Because, I mean, that's the reason why I'm doing a lyrics podcast, because I'm right. not a musician. Yes, <laughs> I don't yes, have sir. that kind of skill set. To, to really dissect music from that perspective. Yep. So I that's something I will have to put out there to see who knows the answer because I'm sure somebody does. Yeah, just solicit me. solicit uh, some answers from our, our musically inclined audience because I would <laughs> yeah. I would love to know. I looked I looked at the um, the credits for the album and it doesn't mention it just says, you know, all other instruments and voices by Prince except where noted and it, and it doesn't give any specifics as to who played what. Uh, for the most part, it's just sort of broad stroke stuff. So, um, so yeah, I was left uh, with that unanswered for myself. So, yeah, I mean, it's a cool sound, and it just that's one of the things that makes this song sound like you know um, something from. Uh, although I got the vision again, like I mentioned earlier, of, of Prince or Christopher Tracy laying back in the in the grass, looking up at a blue sky and clouds, and so I get that picture in color. I also get the black and white French Riviera, um, you know, little coffee shop on the on the river side. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that sound alone, uh, just that that I'll call it a mandolin for now. Um, it just sounds very European. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and those credits can be infuriating. I mean, I get it. It's a lot simpler just to say all, all instruments. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, we're noted as performed by Prince. Right. So it doesn't really tell us anything other than Prince did it all, except for this, this, and this. <laughs> I was going to say just a couple other things about the music. Um, because for me, the music plays a large part of what the song is. Um, uh, and maybe that's an obvious statement, but um, no- notable. There's a 40-second musical lead-up before we get a lyric. Um, and then there's about a 20 to 25 second musical interlude. So at a song that only runs about 257 or something like that, you know, one third of it is musical oak. Um, so you can't discount that. That's, it's a very musical song in that sense. Um, and the lyrics are, are quite short and simple, um, only three verses. Um, I, you know, just in doing some research, I came across the term Baroque pop. 
maybe you did too. You know, it's an I wrote down Baroque. Of... I never used it because I, when I think of Baroque, I think of more like 17th, 18th century. Yes. But, and I get a more mid 20th century vibe for this song. But yeah, no, I, I, I wrote it down because I thought the term might have fit. But then I looked up yeah. Baroque to make sure I understood <laughs> what right. I was referring to. I'm like, ah, oh, no, I don't really get that old of a vibe from it well but. and when you add the word pop to the phrase and that i found it in several sources broke pop is an infusion of uh rock or pop music and classical or orchestral music so oh, in that sense it does it does fit i think sure um so i found that you know somewhat interesting and then um what was the other note i also like to sort of put things in context i don't know i find it to be fun and interesting so just as a, a few points of of fact um, this song was recorded on 17th April, 1985. So just, what was that? Just a few days after Around the World on the Day came out or a few days yeah. before. I so it was a little bit before. Yep. So his next record hadn't even come out yet or had just come out and he was already on music for the follow-up, you know? So yeah. that's just the way Prince works. Right. Yeah. So we, we know that about him. Um, I also found it interesting to note, and I did not know this before that he played it on stage during the Purple Rain tour. Um, and I found, uh, one of my friends friends on Twitter sent me a copy of that concert. Um, and I'll share it with you if you like too. So yes, on please do. Sec- 2nd December, uh, in Toronto, uh, during his piano interlude, which included among other things, God and, um, how come you don't call me anymore? And a few others. Um, he also did a little strictly instrumental piece. That mostly it's just him tinkering. It's a little. It's a lot of nothing, but at the very end you get the da 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 da, da, da. and so you could, that was the first little uh, hint of that song that he was playing around with at the time. Very cool. Yeah, I thought so. And then, um, you know, also, again, keeping things in context, the other songs that he wrote during this week of days, um, or that he recorded, at least, um, Old Friends for Sale, Others Here With Us, uh, Life Can Be So Nice, Sometimes It Snows in April, um, The Unreleased Evalsi Dog, uh, which I think is an instrumental, I've not heard it, and then Holly Rock. What a such a diverse right lineup of songs. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and then all my dreams and kiss came a few days later. So yeah, what a diverse bunch of songs, huh? Yeah. Um, sure. And, and when you tie that back into this being a soundtrack or not, I think maybe and and who knows what will come of the you know the knowledge of the uh, the recording of this album and the release of of his of it as we know it, but. It's almost a shame that we didn't get a true soundtrack. Same thing with Purple Rain. We didn't get a filled soundtrack from Purple Rain. We got an album that's movie adjacent. Same with this one. There's plenty of songs that were in the movie that were not included on this record. Now, maybe that's a limitation of the medium at the time, vinyl. Um, maybe, Maybe there was discussion of putting more songs on it, but it would have meant a two record set and Warners wasn't ready to do that yet. I don't know, but there's some yeah. great songs that aren't on here. Um, Old Friends for Sale would be one of the ones I just mentioned that 
was a, on an original uh, list of track listing for this album among others so yep. anyway so uh it's just interesting to put things in context in that way yeah and, and I that's will... where i think a nice super deluxe or even deluxe edition of parade mm -hmm. would include like a reconfigured version of it that is more soundtrack in definition than parade ended up being minimally or just give us the songs that you know were some of the songs that were in the movie that didn't make the soundtrack because they were just uh you know pieces and of music but you know that there's a full song out there even if we only got you know a handful of seconds of it a background of a scene we know that there's a whole song out there and we we want them that's what we're we're hoping for at some point right and um and to have that would be in some sort of sequence that makes sense would be would be amazing well, and one of the best examples of what you just said is, you know, we got a snippet in the movie, but you know, there's a whole song out there, a Wonderful Day, which was on the Sign of the Times Deluxe. There's a snippet mm -hmm. of that in Cherry Moon. So, yeah, that was just a snippet, but there's a there's a big long song, uh, you know, associated with that as well. Mia Boca is a is a little short snippet of soundtrack background music that is a full fledged song. So, so yeah. Um, and then finally, I'll add, because you asked, and I was curious myself, to put it into context for both of us at the time, um, the album was released May 30th, right? May 30th? May 31st. Well, anyway, Easter was, May, was uh, uh, excuse me, March, not May, March 30th. Easter was March 30th that year. Okay. I looked it up, and then Kiss had been released two months earlier, so it had a full two months to um, get embedded in our skulls as a classically hit pop song. Yeah. And it didn't peak. Pop charts. Yep. Yeah. And it didn't peak until April 19th at number one. And it stayed there for two weeks, I believe. So okay. it took a long time to germinate uh, to become number one. So, yeah. So it would have been, you know, ingrained in us in that, that springtime. And, and, and you might be right on the money with, your mention of Easter and, and how uh, you were listening to it then. So there you go. Yeah, maybe maybe Kiss wasn't number one the week of Easter, but it was it was probably up there, getting closer to the top spot. I mean, if it only made it two more, two or three more weeks after Easter before it hit number one, so it was yep. probably climbing the charts. And I remember hearing it. And this isn't a Kiss pod episode podcast. Right, I'm sorry. Episode, I so, somebody so else. I'll, I'll save my anecdotes about Kiss for later, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was a very, very cool time, but it does, what it does is remind us of spring, really. Yep. Um, Easter is a springtime holiday, it doesn't matter if it's in March or in April, mm -hmm. and that's how we associate Easter, and that's how, you know, if there's any any recollection of this era, the song, not necessarily the movie, so I'm just talking, because the movie I don't think was released until the summer, um, but just the music behind it is what feels like spring to me and yeah. that's that's what we're talking about is the music so there's a few touchstones for me that mean spring um there's easter there's um major league baseball opening day there's um the final four there's the masters and there's parade <laughs> that's those yeah. things mean spring to me <laughs> very cool all right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for joining me today. I think we will wrap it up at this time. Um, yeah. Anything you want to share with the audience about where to find you or what you're up to? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm continuing to be active on Twitter at my uh, PRN forever uh, handle. Um, I will. I'm very happy uh, and and honored to be invited to uh, to the Sign of the Times Twitter uh, thread um, world. So those guys were were kind enough to invite me to 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 re- review a song that'll be coming up later in the month. I can't remember the date, so my uh, my chosen song will show up on the Twitter thread series, um, and I know you're doing one as well. So that's pretty exciting. I'm looking forward to that. But um, but anyway, yeah. And again, kudos to everybody who's been doing these. It's been just it's just it's tremendous. I learned something with every one of them. So. Uh, really, really great stuff. So there you go. Okay. Well, thank you so much again for joining me. Yeah. And I wanted to just wish everyone a happy holidays. I, we're recording this in the break between Christmas and New Year's. It probably won't come out until after New Year's, but still the holidays are in the minds of, of myself and, and Todd, of course, as we yes. record this. So just stay safe, everyone. And you can find me uh, the Presser Wine Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Thanks again to everyone. Presser Wine, Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. And until next time, goodbye.